I am your father. Here's Johnny. E.T. Phone home. They're not gonna catch us. We're on a mission from God. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The Movie Buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. What's up, Real Talk community? Last year around this time, we tackled 90s summer blockbusters, which turned into a trilogy of episodes. And if you haven't heard those episodes, they're episodes 4, 5, and 6. Episode 4, we did a top 5 list for movies from 1990 to 1994. Episode 5, we tackled 1995 to 99. Then using a point system, we took listeners' lists and our list and combined them to reluctantly determine Jurassic Park was the best 90s summer blockbuster. Although we all know, deep down inside, it should have been Terminator 2, which did finish second, by the way. Anyway, to cap the trilogy of episodes in episode 6, we gave you a full episode dedicated to champion Jurassic Park. And overall, I think all of us can agree we had so much fun doing those episodes. And to use a Southern saying... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So tonight, we're going to be diving into 80s summer blockbusters. And each host is going to give you our list of the top five summer blockbusters of 1980 to 1984. And then tune in next episode, and we'll do the same thing except for 85 to 89. And then with your help, we're going to determine what's the overall best 80s summer blockbuster and crown that movie champion. So let's get into it. Let's bring in the co-host here. And T-Man, you're what some call the blockbuster king. If the studio puts money into it and intends for it to be a big hit, you're going to go see it, hell or high water. You might even drive an hour to go to a small little theater in a small little town to see a movie that you could have just stayed at home and watched on Netflix for free. So I think the blockbuster king title is very fitting. I like it, Wes. I like it. You're right, man. I, I love movie block. I love summer blockbusters. I'll go to Smyrna, Tennessee and see Army of the Dead in the theater, even though I could literally turn it on uh, at my home viewing and watch it there. Um, I don't <laughs> know why I did that, especially after watching. I was like, what was I thinking? But, you know, I just love going to the movies in the summer, especially during the day. There's something I can go in the day, getting a large Coke, a popcorn, and just sitting down and just 
being in that blackened theater with the movie, you know, it's just an amazing feeling. I love it. Loved it as a kid, still love to this day. But Wes, I did have something to talk to you about real quick. I know you Uh-oh. tried to, to go that real quick about that Jurassic Park Terminator <laughs> 2 thing. Weren't you trying to convince Gabe and I to do a, a re-1990s uh, contest again? You said you wanted a recount with that Terminator 2, and I said, no, nah, no, nah, we don't do no recounts in real talk. <laughs> 1990s is set. Jurassic Park is the winner. It's done. It has been you know, spoken. People have spoken. Anyway. Yeah, Wes tried to get all those Russian bots to vote it up, and he spent all this money, <laughs> but the Real Talk community bonded together and just trumped those Russian bots, and I'm real proud of us, guys. Really yeah, proud. great job, everybody. I don't know. I've been seeing some of these politicians and stuff. They're calling for recounts. They're getting <laughs> recounts. They're people staying up until days after elections, counting extra votes. I th- we need to do that just to make sure that <laughs> Jurassic Park Truly won that vote. Amazing. Real talk recount. 19. The, the issue was, though, it's a year later. Like, uh, probably should have been last year, maybe. Well, Gabe, it, I think it's safe to say that the Blockbuster episodes have been some of your personal favorite episodes that we've done so far. Yeah, I mean, we know how much I like shark movies. Jaws really took on the blockbuster, made it what it is. And recently I went on a podcast, Land of the Creeps, and I talked about how I was going to flood my basement and pretend I was a shark and swim around and annoy my wife. And I got my comeuppance, guys. I was on vacation. I get a call. My basement flooded because of a toilet malfunction. I got my movie comeuppance. And so I've been like... I'm down here in my basement. They've been having fans cleaning out the basement. I think somebody heard me that that I wanted a shark-like situation in my basement, and they made it happen. So before we go any further into the episode, I want to shout out listener Justin Wallace, who you can follow on Twitter at JediKnight417. He's been listening really since the beginning of the show. And when we reached out to everyone, we were just kind of like, hey, what are some episode recommendations that you have what would you like to hear us cover and justin replied he said i love the 90s summer blockbuster coverage i want i want you guys to tackle the 80s that was about 10 months ago that we talked about that and justin we never forgot that request and these episodes are going to be dedicated to you good sir we appreciate you listening and appreciate that recommendation that's right real talk community you ask and we deliver 10 months later that's right (laughs) better late than never But uh, if you're new to how we're going to do this, we're going to determine the overall best 80s summer blockbuster through a generic scoring system of one to five points. So as each host goes around table tonight, their number five movie is going to get one point, their number four is going to get two, and so on as we count down to one. And then we're going to take that same logic and all the lists that are being submitted to us on Facebook and Twitter we're going to assign those the same point system too. So all together, we're going to decide what's the best 80s summer blockbuster. And if you think it's too late, it's not. If you want to get involved, go ahead and send your top five lists. And you might be asking, well, what, what qualifies as a blockbuster? What are you guys looking for? Real simple. Released in theaters between May 1st and September 30th. And that it was just a hit at the theater. It made a lot of money. And so we were like, well, what? Early 80s 
we said about $50 million, which that was really big money back in the 80s. So that's really it. That's all we're looking for. All right, guys, let's get into this. We're going to start by taking a look at what film was like in the early 80s before we really get into our countdowns. And as you know, a lot of the time, film represents the state of the union, so to speak. You know, the topics, the celebrities of the day, what's happening in that particular time frame. Movies really represent that a lot. Let's kick it over to T-Man. He's going to delete. He's going to delete. I don't even know what that means. He's going to lead our discussion into this. Yeah, thanks, Wes. So I think you hit it right on the head there around culture and politics. Because, you know, as they say in politics, politics is like everything in culture is downstream from politics. So politics reflects the culture and vice versa. And I think you really see that in the late 70s and the early 1980s, which is right in the period that we're talking about here about how that's reflected in the movie world, like what's happening in cinema. And so let's take you back to the late 70s. What we want to call call this time in America, it was really kind of the American um, malaise, I guess you can say, malaise. You know, there was kind of a depressive attitude in America. There was Jimmy Carter was president. You had, you know, wages stagnation. You had the fuel crises. You had the hostage negotiations going on in the Middle East. A lot of things were happening in in the country. And I think you you saw that in the movies that were being made. The 1970s is considered, you know, one of the greatest times ever in movie history, but they aren't what you would call a lot of blockbusters in that decade. You know, it's kind of funny uh, if you think about like in the early 70s, what were like the massive hits? It was The Godfather. It was The Exorcist. Those wouldn't wouldn't be like what you would consider like summer blockbusters, I guess you would say. And so if you go throughout the 70s, it was all about the new wave Hollywood movement. You know, the all, all those kind of, you know, indie kind of films, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver, all those type of movies. Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather movies, Godfather 2. But then, of course, Jaws happened, as Gabe talked about, which really created the summer blockbuster. And then you also had Star Wars just a year later, and that really kicked off the boom. And so you saw by the late 70s what was happening within Hollywood. And so where we get to right now, what the era, era we're talking about, which is 80 through 84, you kind of, I think it's really interesting if you look at the movies being made. Because the blockbuster that we think about, like the summer blockbuster seasons, it really doesn't happen right away. So I want to read you guys off a list of the top 10 movies from 1980. And I just want to get your all's opinion on this, because I think it really is important to kind of consider, okay, this is what was right off of 1979, right into 80, because, you know, it takes a couple of years to make a movie. So it was really from that 70s. But what happened in 1980 was Ronald Reagan was elected, and he was elected on a very, you know, positive platform, which we'll get into in a second about how that changed things. But let me read you guys the movie. So, number one was Empire Strikes Back, which was Star Wars, of course. But any guesses what what was second? Is it called like the Little Little Whorehouse in Texas or uh, something like that? I don't that think there? that was that West. No, okay. no, you're actually right with one of the actresses. Actually, uh, it's nine to five. Nine to five. That okay? Yeah, I got you. you're Dolly Parton. West is a big Dolly Parton fan. If anybody <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> 
Huge yeah. Dolly Parton fan. He just named two movies posters. in a row with Dolly. I, I, I don't go anywhere else on vacation except for Dollywood. <laughs> Dollywood. Nine to Five was the second biggest movie in 1980. Not what you'd consider a summer blockbuster. Then you had Stir Crazy as number three. I had to look what that movie was even. It was the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie. Then you had Airplane, which is kind of... Oh, Airplane. You know, kind of like a summer blockbuster. Like I think that, that kind of reflects what you see nowadays. Next was Any Which Way You Can, which I think is the sequel to Clint Eastwood where he's with that dang gorilla or orangutan. <laughs> Jeez, what was Clint doing? See, this is where we're at in film in the late 1970s. A blockbuster was Clint Eastwood hanging out with an orangutan. <laughs> this is the era which we were, were dealing with here, people. Then you have Private Benjamin, the Goldie Hawn comedy, Colt Miner's Daughter. Not what I would consider a summer blockbuster. What I would, con- you know, it's a good drama. He man, just the stop. Too. Stop these! I don't. Nobody, nobody cares about these movies. No, I'm making a point. Okay. Our, our team in this was his summer blockbuster list. That's what team in's reading. Yeah, right you're now. hurting me. Yeah, this is my summer blockbuster point. Uh, oh, okay. So, and then the final two is Blue Lagoon and the Blues Brothers. So that gives you a, a reference of where we're at in film in 1980. And it's kind of crazy to think about that was literally the top 10 list of blockbusters, of movies from Mm -hmm. a box office standpoint. So in other words, what we consider summer blockbusters had really not happened yet. But if you go flash forward a couple years later, I think it's really 1983 or 84, you see the seismic change. And that's when you have all the summer blockbusters that we're really used to. You know, you get the Ghostbusters in 84, 83, you know, Return of the Jedi. And so that's where it really explodes to kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And once again, culture goes downstream for politics. Ronald Reagan came in and he kind of changed the trajectory of America. Regardless of your politics, nobody can deny he ran a positive platform around America. And I think they kind of converged onto each other. They were both around positivity. And and he in other words, I don't know if you would have had all these blockbusters without Ronald Reagan as president they kind of went hand in hand you know the all those action movies it was about strength america's strength overseas and so i don't know i think that's kind of interesting how you kind of see that alignment between politics and these movies mm-hmm. so just throwing it out there obviously gabe hated this uh, segment so Wes, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that <laughs> so no, i wasn't saying that tommy i was just like these movies are bad like i didn't know any of those movies i was like is it going to get worse? I assumed it was because you were going downhill on the on the titles. You were going from best to worst. So I was like, you, you'd already gotten to Clint Eastwood with the gorilla. So I didn't know where it was going from there. <laughs> I think, like you said, Jaws started the summer blockbuster, right? But back then, we couldn't just crank out these these big budget movies like super fast. It took a lot of time to to finish and, and make these movies. Mm. Then Star Wars came out, and like I said during our Star Wars episode, Star Wars felt more like an 80s movie. George Lucas brought that that fun that so many of the 80s films have, especially as it progressed. And I think Star Wars did another thing, too. I think it really maybe reinvigorated the studio-driven films because I think everybody was like, oh, my gosh, look at how much money you could make now. Their studios may have been a little bit reserved, but in 1980, when Empire Strikes Back came out, and then just 
again, exploded at the box office. I think that that really kicks stuff into gear as well. Because, again, the 80s decade is very much about blockbusters. It's about sequels. It's about studio-driven, like a lot more money being put in. And to your point with Ronald Reagan and really getting the economy going and all that, women at that particular time were really starting to enter the workforce on their own. There was a lot of more disposable income. You had cable TV really start to come in. HBO. Dawn of of the Dead was made in 1978. There towards the end, it was was a commentary on consumerism. Consumerism really starts to take off, especially when, when families have this extra disposable income. There was just more money that was being made. There was more people... We're going and doing more as families. People are going to the movies more. And it just, it, it really kind of created like a snowball effect, I, I, I think, at the very beginning of the decade that just started rolling all the way through well, the rest of the decade. Wes, also, yeah, I think that's a great point. Also, what is the 80s known for? It's known for the malls. It's known for the multiplex. You know, that was kind of, you, know, you always watch those, you know, Fast Time at Ridgemont High. They're all at the mall. And I think that goes hand in hand with these blockbusters because a lot of these were kid and teenage driven. And what do you do in the summer? You're off of school. You go to the mall or you you go watch a movie. That's kind of what you do. And by 1982, you kind of see where we're at. You got E.T., Rocky Three, Porky, Star Trek Two, Forty Eight Hours, right? What you're saying, Wes, you're starting to see that trend in the early '80s. I think '80s kind of a weird year because it's still in that, and that's why I wanted to read that off, even though Gabe hated that. Um, <laughs> it's really a nineteen. The whole point of that list, what I was going for there, is it's a 1970s list. Yeah, it's really not a 1980s list. They were all made in the '70s, exactly. You know, in seventy, probably '78, '79 is when a lot of them were that started being made. Right, exactly. You had to get into the 80s a little bit. And then what I think what you're saying, Wes, is exactly true. It's the snowball effect. You know, once these movies started hitting, people loved them. They wanted more of them. The studio saw the money rolling in, and that's just where you're at. And really, you know, in a lot of ways, what was created then is what we're kind of living with still, which is the yep. sequels, the franchises, all of that stuff. So, Gabe, I know I was hard on you about that list, man, but any thoughts? thought anything we're saying or or about the early 80s in general from a movie standpoint no i I, you know a lot was going on in the 80s it's like the 80s realized what you said was the 80s realized that movies uh that people wanted fun movies it took that long that's all i was sitting there thinking it took that long for people want to have fun when they go to the movies i don't know but here's the thing gabe the reason it took that long is movies a lot of times reflect what's going on in the world and what people are wanting in the seventies was just a really weird time in America. Watergate, after effects of Vietnam, wage stagnation, inflation, all those things. And the movies reflected that. And then in eighties, it changed and the movies reflected that. It's just crazy. We went from that to what we got in the eighties. We went from the shows that we had in the seventies to we got California raisins and dinosaurs talking on TV saying, not the mama. It's just like a crazy, like, it's, it's very we 180 in a lot of very ways. Very 180. It, it, it is very strange in that way. Um, but it's a, like you said, Wes, it, it kind of created the summer blockbuster. Like, really, you can't, this is the decade of the blockbusters, I think. You know, the 90s, 
is also, but 90s had that great independent film movement era. Like, I really look at the 80s as the decade of the blockbuster. Oh, yeah. One one of the things that I thought about today, and this may be a stretch, but I just found it, it just poetic or interesting. So Alfred Hitchcock died in 1980, and I think that's fitting because... I think arguably we could say of the old style of movies, that was probably the the best director from old Hollywood. Yeah, there's John Ford. There's a lot of other people that you could kind of say, but you can easily make an argument for Hitchcock. In the 70s, new Hollywood really started to establish itself. And yes, they had some hits. but But new Hollywood really broke through in a big way at the box office in the 80s. And so I just thought it was fitting that you have the the best director of old Hollywood kind of passing away in 1980 right as this whole snowball is about to start rolling for new Hollywood. Another thing that's pretty interesting about the 80s, well, well the PG-13 rating. Because for the longest time you had the radar restricted and you had PG parental guidance. You had movies like Indiana Jones and then Tipple of Doom. You had Gremlins. You had a bunch of those other ones that were like, this isn't good for younger kids, but it's not quite rated R. So they came up with that rating that kind of really changed things. And then I've got to, th- I've got to throw one more thing out and plug one of our previous shows. I like to do that from time to time, but episode 28 our erotic thriller episode. And we talked all about that. Mm. And that really got going at the beginning of the eighties as well, because the censorship was a little light nudity in film became very much light. Yeah. Huge. And like they started putting a lot of nudity in film. We already, in that episode, we went through the skin of max and all this type of type of stuff that was taken off. The slasher films were really, really popular. The early part, they had a bunch of nudity in it. So, this time period right here is we've got some new things to cinema really introduced. Like we said, blockbuster really taking off, more nudity, erotic thrillers, PG-13. You know, there's just, the 80s is such an interesting time. I think Quentin Tarantino said it's the worst decade for film, like, ever. Because there's so much junk that that's in it. But there are a lot of great movies in the in the 80s too but just what a wild just interesting fun decade i think that 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 people live through a lot of 80s nostalgia out there yeah i think you're exactly right was it 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 was a it it was a good time because i think you know whether those good times had we had to pay the bill on those good times i think you could argue that for a lot of different reasons but it was a good time in a lot of ways uh you know you watch those movies back then even the music you know all those movies are about wealth and creating wealth and having a great time and being fun and partying all that stuff and i think you're i think tarantino is right in a lot of ways it probably is the worst decade for like film but that's why i almost think it's the best decade for blockbusters because here's the thing the best films of that decade are the blockbusters yeah yeah. you know people don't remember people don't go and watch um ordinary people that won best picture what in like 82 i think you know, they go and watch Raiders or Chariots you know, people, of Fire. You know, yeah, but, Chariots of Fire. They don't go and watch that. They go and watch Ghostbusters. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a great point. Let's get this top five countdown going. The whole reason why we're here. And 
what we're going to do, audience, we're going to go round table. We're going to throw out our number five movie. We're going to work our way down to one. We've got a couple honorable mentions for you after that. And then we had such great audience participation. Want to call out and, and go through some of our audience feedback with everybody. So I'm honestly surprised Gabe hasn't spontaneously combusted, waiting for us to get the list going. He gets so excited about his list. He sometimes even tells us his list before the show even starts. He didn't do it this time. Audience, again, these are each host recommendation for the top five summer blockbusters of the early 80s. We're just going to go around table. And I want to start with Gabe before he, before he hurts himself. I know he's ready to get rolling. So, Gabe, what's your number five movie? Don't before, say Ace Ventura. Before <laughs> I start my list, guys, I, I got to quantify my list. And I know you guys had the same problem. You guys all stared at these movies. You said this was so hard. And it was hard. But I found out a formula that really made it easy. And it was Bill Van Vagel that inspired me. He said, a movie's not, there's not such thing as a guilty pleasure. If you like a movie, you like a movie. And I was sitting there thinking about it. Which of these movies have I seen the most? And five just popped off the page. And Tommy is going to probably roll over in his grave when I tell him what my number five is, but I'm going to do it anyway. Number five, directed by John Avildsen, I always pronounce his name wrong, came out in my birth year, 1984. We have the Karate Kid. And, (laughs) you know, we all know that Tommy is, you know, anti-Karate Kid. He's the William Zabka of this podcast. But Karate Kid, I I love it. I mean, honestly, of the movies I've watched the most, I want to think 80s. I think back to the Putt-Putt Palace. I mean, it's got everything. It's got shower costumes from creepy janitors. It's got Mr. Miyagi beating up children. It's got, you know, you you find out that you only got to do household chores in order to learn karate. In fact, I'm pulling Jack out of karate class, and I'm just going to have him, like, wax the fence or whatever it is. It's just a great movie. It's enjoyable. It's what, you know, it inspired so many people to do karate, all-valley tournaments. There's lots of jokes that we got to make during that, uh, during when we talked about it, you know about uh, syphilis hotels and watching, uh, you know, Karate Kid now on RedTube, which it was just YouTube Red, but Wes went a little (laughs) deep on that. You know, it's number five on my list, guys. What do you have to say, Tommy? Or William Zabka, evil real talk villain? Well, I mean, here's the thing. We we went in-depth on uh, Karate Kid in that episode. I think, you know, I think a lot of people went in thinking, you know what, this is a good movie. I like it. I remember it. And then after my uh, thorough thrashing of it, they rethought it. And they said, wait a minute, is it actually good? Then they turned it on and they realized, oh, no, it's not actually good at all. And so I consider that a victory for real talk um, to really, you know, bring about the end and demise of Karate Kid. And I thought, I thought that was the end of it, and we wouldn't have to talk about it again. But here it is again. Gabe brings it back. Top five. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Coming from the bully of Real Talk, a movie podcast that also try to convince you William Zabka is your hero, Tommy Wood. <laughs> well, audience, we also covered The Karate Kid on episode 25 of the show. So we're doing a lot of plugging of our show to go back and listen to old episodes. But The Karate Kid is Gabe's number five pick. I'll just go ahead and say it didn't make my list. I do like the Karate Kid. I did enjoy the episode that we do. I'm just not 
a huge, huge fan of it, especially compared to some of these other movies. So, all right, T-Man, what you got? What's your number five movie? I tell you what, guys, I think I told you this. I had a lot of trouble with this list. It, it was difficult. I mean, really difficult. I went back and forth so many times. But I think I had to go kind of similar to what Gabe talked about. You know, I just had to go with movies that I really just love watching over and over again. So number five, uh, I didn't really think about this one at first, but the more I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, I got to put this in my top five. So I'm going with an American werewolf in London. Oh, nice. So, so I didn't first, I didn't even know if this was a summer release, but I looked it up. It was it released in August. August 21st, 1981. And it was actually a really big hit. It made mm-hmm. $62 it million dollars yeah. at the box office. which That's was, huge that's, for 81. Yeah, that's massive. Uh, that would probably be you know $250 million in today's money, something like that. And so if you haven't seen it, it's a horror comedy film, which I kind of really love horror comedies. That's one of my favorite genres. And it's directed by John Landis, who, of course, has had major success in the comedy world, starring David Naughton and Jenny Gooder. Um, of course, pretty basic plot follows two American backpackers, David and Jack, who are attacked by a werewolf while traveling in Lon- England causing David to question whether he will become a werewolf under the next full moon. Of course, by the title, I think you can guess he does through one of the greatest, you know, transformation scenes in movie history, uh, you know, won the Oscar. You always see it in the movie clips when he's turning into that werewolf. And it's really just a fun movie that mixes genres really well. It has some horror elements, has some comedy elements, has some dramatic elements. It kind of has it all. It does a lot of different things. Has great music. The opening scene on the England Moor, English Moors is is so good and so well shot. And it's just one of those movies. It's a quick, you know, it's not a long movie. I think it's just a little over 90 minutes. But it's one of those that I've seen so many times over and over again. And it's always just fun. And it's kind of dark. And it's just the type of movie that I don't even know. If, like if they, I don't see them making this movie these days uh, in this type of way. And if they did, it would be more like an independent film. I know you guys have seen this movie. Any thoughts on that? I think this movie plays perfect for the 80s, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it does, but I mean, I can see it being a $60 million hit in the 80s. And yeah, I do love this movie. It was it was, it was, was probably going to be on my honorable mentions, but good pick. T-Man, I love that you picked this movie. I really did. I, I'm a fan of this movie. I like it a lot. My favorite of the universal kind of creatures that they did. I've always been a fan of like the Wolfman and werewolf movies. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of, of good ones. It's, it's a genre that are, they're pretty bad. What's interesting about 1981 is that it, it was the year of the werewolf film. You had three very popular, just like hit werewolf movies. They all came out the same year, American werewolf in London, the howling and Wolfen. Wolfen being the the least popular of the three, but also very well-liked kind of a cult film. But it didn't make my list. I saw it on there, and I have just always been more of a the howling guy than I am an American werewolf in London. And that's it's kind of a little bit controversial between werewolf films. It's pretty divisive. You're usually either American Werewolf in London or you're The Howling. I've always been The Howling yeah. now. It or came wolf out in March. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't or know wolf. this was out there. I'm not in the horror community, so it's like Team Edward and Tim, Team Jacob. You're either one or the other. 
That's right. That's right. I don't know how you know that reference. I don't wish I didn't know the reference, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, great pick, team man. I'll go with my number five, and I'm really not trying to steal any anybody's thunder with this particular pick, but it's just where it fell. I actually had a really easy time with this list, especially my one through four. I mean, they were they were locked in. I have memorabilia of my one through four in my house, so it's just they were no brainer picks for me. The fifth one, I did struggle between three movies, but I just watched this movie a couple of nights ago. And the reason I did is because we just did Star Wars for our last episode, and that got me in the mood. I wanted to see Empire Strikes Back, and that's my number five pick. They took what made Star Wars good, and they made it even better. And since this movie's debut in May of 1980... The franchise has really chased the glory of this movie since. It's the rare sequel that truly is better than the original film. It's so unique in the fact that, especially for its time period as well, that the good guys lose. There's doubt in the audience's mind if the heroes can overcome these challenges that have been presented to them. It introduces one of my all-time favorite film scores in the Imperial March, which is perfect for a movie in which the bad guys are winning. You've got that opening battle of Hoth, you know, the snow planet. That is just such a fun opening. It's so cool. I watched a little documentary about how I think they went to like like Norway or somewhere like that to shoot in the snow to do um, the the opening for it. It's just it's a great movie. It's exciting. Uh, which is what you want out of a blockbuster. You know, Han's character really takes form. His relationship with Leia takes off. We meet Yoda, and he's given us life lessons. And I think that, you know, as a as a father or any fathers and grandfathers out there, you know, you're, you're trying to coach your son through life. And it's just like you can identify with, with Yoda trying to take Luke under his wing and, and show him the way. We learn more about the Force. Then you get the epic lightsaber battle at the end. I wish Star Wars could capture this magic again, but I'm afraid it's over. But at least we always have this movie to remind us of how great the franchise can be. So that's my number five pick. And I have a feeling that might show back up on some other people's lists. So are we ready to just move on to our four, or does anybody have any thoughts on that one? I've seen some some distraught looks over here at Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) You're number five. You're Here's the thing. Freaking five. We said we were going to talk about all these when you, we started talking about it. It's your number five. I have so many notes on this movie. I'm I can't bust in here. I can't bust in at well. Five. We'll we'll come we'll come I'll, back. I'll say this. Yeah, and I think honestly we're going to have that problem multiple times on this episode because there are the early '80s. I think well, all the '80s. There are just some iconic movies that if it's not on your list. You got an issue. I'll be honest with you guys. I actually don't have this on my list. <laughs> oh, gosh. So anything to add then? <laughs> well, I, I'll kind of do double duties. I know I have a feeling Gabe has it, but I'll just kind of... I did rewatch it also after Star Wars, and, you know, it's a great movie. You know, it is one of the best sequels ever made. It it provides more depth, I think, to the Star Wars universe. Adds some great characters in Yoda. Great battle in the Hoth battle. It is just one of the great blockbusters of all time. 
I mean, it's darker, has more shadings to it. And like you said, the good guys lose, which doesn't happen that often. Um, it's got that great ending where Han Solo is, you know, frozen in carbonite. So, yeah, I think that is just a great pick. And honestly, I think this movie is going to be in the running. I really do. I don't know if he'll win overall, but I think it has a lot of support out there. I've been looking at the list and I see that I see it on a lot of lists. Yeah. Real talk, real talk community. I'm not going to like comment on this sector of it. I, I feel like I'm either a in an alternative universe or B trying well, they're trying to do what they did to Jurassic park. Um, and it just feels dirty. So I'm not, they, talk- don't, don't say they, I, I didn't do anything. You, it it just feels dirty to me, guys. Okay, but I thought you weren't going to talk about it. I'm not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Every I've said it multiple times. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, and to tell you the truth, when I was originally going to make my list, I wasn't going to have it on there, but. This most recent viewing, again, every time I see the movie, I gain a, a bigger appreciation for it. And it had probably been a decade since I'd seen Empire Strikes Back. So when I watched it the other day, and I knew we were going to be doing this episode, I was like, man, that is just that is a really great movie. And so I edged out a couple of the other ones and, and got it in my list. So, I mean, the Star Wars fan, I, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. You guys should be like, yeah, all right, he made yeah. his list. Okay, a- I'll give you that. As our official Star Wars historian, Wes, good job. (laughs) All right, Gabe, hit us with your number four. Oh, I'm going to hit you with my number four. I hope you guys are ready for it. I'm going to hit you with the second highest grossing movie during this time, Return of the Jedi. Yes, I said it. Go ahead. What do you guys have to say? I mean, do you want to talk about the Ewoks? Do you want to say something, Tommy? Your, Your mouth is wide open. You're right. I, no, I don't want to talk about the Ewoks. I literally just rewatched <laughs> this movie too, and I literally almost gouged out my eyes when they came on screen. They are so obnoxious. I'm not even joking. Now, let me <laughs> tell you, nice. like I scourged the internet for why people hate the Ewoks because I just rewatched the movie as well, and I I found them cuddly. I found them friendly. I, I found them an uncivilized nation that could take o- over a civilized nation stormtrooper with their traps and their you know David right. Bro- you, you, know. this game. You got, the emperor himself says, "I've got my best legion down there guarding the bay, you know, guarding the the area. His best legion in a legion. They took over the galaxy. They took it all over, and that's his number one legion. And these these little fur balls." defeat the best legion with what i don't even know what they got they got the two logs that smashed the one thing that's all they got they got ridiculous double logs the log trips they got the traps they know the territory tommy they live there it's like you know it's like the indians they knew the territory the ewoks know the territory they're not fighting fair they're fighting unfair it was george luke's commentary on the vietnam war basically it's like you know guerrilla warfare and all that stuff but it's like it probably should have led us to think you know Watching rewatching uh, Jedi, we should have known that the prequels probably weren't going to be very good. I, I completely disagree. Let, let me tell you why, Tommy. Let's go into The Last Jedi. You love the cantina scene in the movie that we just talked about. This movie ta- has two scenes that take a crap on that can- cantina scene. The beginning of when you see Jabba the Hutt, that party is fantastic. You got all kinds of weird t- creatures dancing and whips <laughs> going off. I'm surprised you didn't clap. Um, you know, I do got a question about, about that game. Like, like, do those people just like? I liked how they just all sleep in that main area. Like, <laughs> with Java. they party all day. And with Java, and then 
there. Like, a party. <laughs> like, that's just a party scene. Party, sleep. Party, sleep. All of this one main area. I yeah, want to go and, there. And it, and it, and that thing sleeps below him, that really creepy creature. But so many things came from this movie. You got Leah, you got the Leah Gold bikini that fueled nerd fantasies for years. You got that Sarlock. I remember that Sarlock, that thing that digests you over a thousand years. I, I always was like frightened of that as a kid where they're going to throw it in. I was like, oh God, that's worse than death. But then I started thinking about it, rewatching this movie, and, and it's like, that doesn't matter. You, I mean, normal human only lives a hundred years. How long are you really going to live in that sarlock with, with like, good nourishment? You know, not very long. Yeah. So that didn't make any sense. So I'm not as as afraid of that. You should know. And quiz for our Star Wars historian: How old is Yoda in this movie? I think isn't he like eight hundred years? Pretty close. Nine hundred years old. Boom. Um. Man, this is a Star Wars historian, but but and I know one thing too, Gabe. It's not Princess Leia; it's Princess Leia. Leia. Uh, well, this, this is what has... you're here for, Wes. Well, you got to correct us. Keeping us on track with the Star Wars. That's right. But but I mean seriously, I'm I'll I'll be done. I know I I go overboard on these things, but the movie has great Force Ghost. I love the Ewoks. It's got flying Ewoks. Ewoks hitting themselves with slings. Ewoks setting up traps. <laughs> it's got. It's got Ewok on Ewok balance. A really sad Ewok death scene. The final battle, I mean, it has more she's going to blows and I'm hit, ah, than the first movie. But but in all seriousness, the final sequence of this movie is spectacular. You've got Luke being trying to be converted to the dark side while Han and Leia are out in the <laughs> in the field battling the with the Ewoks and you've got the you've got the fighter pilot battle going on simultaneously. You guys joke but Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb give it over an 80%, and it was the second highest grossing movie of that time. I, I like it. I like the speeders on Endor. I like everything about it. Uh, the Darth Vader-Luke lightsaber battle, spectacular. And you finally get to see Darth Vader's face, and I remember that as a kid, and it was so transformative. And I picked this movie because it, I, I would be lying if I didn't pick this movie. I've seen this movie more than any other movie that I could stick at number four. So there you go. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't hate Return of the Jedi. It's just, it's, it's not as good as the first two. I mean, I enjoyed the movie when I watched the the other day. Um, I really enjoyed the 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 Emperor trying to convert Luke in that lightsaber battle. And the opening is, you know, when they're going to, to try to save Han. Yeah. I mean, it's all fun. Like, all that, all that's good. And, and, yeah, I mean, it doesn't just... Princess Leia's gold bikini doesn't just fuel nerd fantasy. It, 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 it fuels men's fantasies. <laughs> especially a Star Wars historian. Yeah, especially <laughs> a Star Wars historian. That's right. That's right. So, Wes, what you're telling me right there is you really just named two out of the three main segments of the movie. You got the opening sequence. You got the sequence with the Emperor. And I agree, actually, those two sequences are really good. What's the one sequence you left out that's really bad? Well, a lot of the middle and the Ewok stuff. I didn't... I just all I can see now is a bunch of Ezekiel Elliott's running around because that man looks exactly like an Ewok. Yeah, and he plays like one now too. <laughs> he does. <laughs> He's not playing That's too right. good anymore. Off that, I I do I think it's a good pick game because I think you've got to have Return of the Jedi on this list. It was one of the top blockbusters of this era, and honestly, it's still fun to watch. Like you said, I know I I'm really harsh on the Ewoks deservedly. You know, a lot of people are. I mean, I'm not the only one here. Um, I think they are atrocious 
But everything besides them, actually, I really like in the movie. It's a, just a fun movie. You either love or hate the Ewoks, but the only thing I could find out is people hate the Ewoks because they think George Lucas was making a cash grab. And I don't really, I don't know. Maybe I'm nice. But making a movie is making a cash grab. So it's like, really? Yeah, but George Lucas is really obvious with his cash grabs. I mean, he literally (laughs) made the cutest little, you know, but like, what are they? Bears to defeat the Empire. That's a cash and they Crap. and they and some people say it should have been the Chewbaccas or whatever, whatever the the Wookies and the Wookie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it and it shouldn't have. Uh, one other thing that just a little bit confuses me is that whole end sequence when he's trying to convert him and he's like, "Strike me down and you'll become evil." But he's literally like blown up the Death Star earlier and killed thousands of like stormtroopers. So. Why does just killing him make him like turn to the door? I was confused. I was like, nobody has any idea about point. how any of that works. Remember when, when, remember when Obi Wan was like, "If you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine." <laughs> I and knew that was coming. What? How did he become powerful? He just he he's dead. He never shows up again. He's just a space force ghost. He's whispering anyway. We don't want. To I did. I did wonder about that. And I'm like, you're going to kill one person, then you're suddenly bad. But you're trying to kill him for good to save everybody. But earlier, you killed millions of people on the Death Star, and that didn't matter. But that's 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 logistics. Neither here nor there. I'm sorry. I've talked too long. Let me. The Star Wars historian wants to step in real quick and, and say this: the main cast of Leia and Luke and Han, Harrison Ford was only signed for two movies. He was not signed for a third movie. And George Lucas felt, especially at this time when he was becoming such a big star, that they didn't know if they would even be able to get him back for Return of the Jedi. So that's why the movie ends with him and Frozen and Carbonite. Because they kind of had an out with his character that if he wouldn't come back wow. for the third film, that he would just that would that would have been it. And of course, Empire Strikes Back, you have kind of I mean, all, although it's this gigantic dog wolf looking thing, it's kind of an emotional scene where where Chewie's like all upset and he's trying to fight, yeah. you know, to save Han as he's about to get frozen. Like it's pretty dramatic for 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 what it is, you know, this kind of fantasy this fantasy sci-fi world that it's in. But that that's kind of the reason why he left it like that. And, of course, it worked. And then George Lucas wouldn't even call Harrison Ford. I can't remember who he had call and talk to Harrison Ford about it. But, um, anyway, they wound up convincing him to, to come back one, one more time. And, obviously, the rest is history. Okay, T-Man, we'll move on to your, your number four pick. All right, guys. She'll say one word. I want you to see if you guys you can guess what the movie is. I'm not gonna try to be too loud. My best impersonation. Con <laughs> Gabe, you got this one? I'm guessing it's the Wrath of Khan. Star, there Star you Trek go. The Wrath of Khan, which is one of my favorite. It's the best Star Trek movie. Heck yeah. So yeah. So my next my number four pick is Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. So this is a 1982 American science fiction film directed by Nicholas Meyer, of course, based on the Star Trek TV series with the original cast. So this movie is really interesting because, you know, we've just talked about Star Wars. This is kind of the other big sci-fi series that we really haven't talked a whole lot about on our podcast yet. But I really like the Star Treks. I love the next generation growing up. 
and I've liked a lot of the movies, honestly. They're not all great, but you know they have a pretty good success rate. I really like the reboots also. Going back to this film, this one, so there was no guarantee that the Star Trek movie franchise was, was going to work. So the first movie came out, I believe it was 1980 or 79, one of the two, had a huge budget. And it didn't really do that great. Like, it didn't do bad. It made a lot of money, but a lot of fans didn't like it. It was kind of considered boring. Um, And it was kind of, you know, old style. It just wasn't fresh. It didn't feel like, as we've talked about, the 1980s. So they kind of went back to the drawing board and was like, what do we do? So I think they did one of the most original things in that time period. Now... It set the template for a lot of what movies did now. They brought back a character. And so they brought back Khan. Um, his name from the show is Khan Singh, played by Ricardo Montalban. Uh, great overactor, one of the best. Loves to chew the scenery. And they brought his character back. He was actually on a very popular and famous episode from the original series. I think it was episode, or I know it was from the first season. And um, I can't remember what it was called, but it's a very famous episode. Space Seed, that's what it is. And he was frozen. Like, he kind of, he tried to take over the Enterprise and he was frozen in time. Well, they brought him, so they brought him back for the sequel, which I don't know if that ever happened before. Like, that was really an original idea at the time. But, like, that's all they do nowadays. They always bring back old characters from movies. You know, when they reboot these franchises, they're always bringing back the original cast and all that stuff. So it was kind of like ahead of its time in that way. And it's just a really fun great action space adventure it's kind of actually not it doesn't take it takes place really in one location it's kind of like Mm -hmm. a duel in a way that you know captain kirk and connor are kind of going back and forth you know they blow up parts of their ship and they blow up others and they're chasing each other it's kind of like a um they tried to make it like a naval duel in a lot of ways that's what they were going for um, and I think they really succeeded. I watched it not too long ago, and it just looks great. It's it's just a great science fiction film, and it really kind of saved the franchise, and it's still considered one of, if not the best, of the Star Trek franchises. So any thoughts on that movie, guys? Have you guys seen it recently? Uh, the last time that I saw it, and this is kind of embarrassing because I do love this movie, when we were watching the new Star Treks, Tommy, if you'll remember, you, I, we watched like the first one and then the second one, and I was like, man, these Star Treks are better than any of the other Star Treks at all. And you were like, nah, it's not better than the Wrath of Khan. And I took your recommendation. Unlike you, I was like, yo, you, the Wrath of Khan. And we sat and watched it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to watch this movie that Tommy recommends because he says it's better. And I sat down and I was like, that is better than any other Star Trek by far. And isn't Khan, and, uh, and I haven't seen it since that viewing, actually, so I, I apologize. I do need to watch it again, and I, and I wanted it in my honorable mentions, which we'll talk about later, uh, and it will be. But isn't Khan, like, the arch nemesis of Captain Kirk? Like, isn't that, like, his, considered his, like, biggest enemy? Yeah, that's exactly. And, and, so and they really, had- it's, almost, it's almost more that Khan thinks that Kirk is his biggest enemy. And Kirk left him there to die on that planet, and he's been holding this grudge ever since. Khan is a great villain, and in this, like, I thought the dynamic between the two is the best. It's so good. 
like it does it better than any other movie. And you were right. So I, you know, I take your recommendations. You give me good stuff. You know, I'll still keep doing it, Tommy. Thank you, thank you, my friend. I, I'm. This is a big blind spot for me. I've not watched any of the original Star Trek movies. I enjoyed watching the show, the original show, with my dad. He he really likes the show, so I've watched several episodes of that, but just never got into the movies. So, uh, hopefully, eventually, I'll get to them. And uh, it sounds like I definitely need to see this one. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you'll really like it, Wes. It's just it's just so well. It's just a great summer blockbuster. Like it's just as soon as it, like it's so much action, so much kind of suspense, really well made. And plus, it's got a villain who wears a uh, fake breastplate to show his muscles. I mean, how could you not want that? <laughs> oh, literally I'm sold. I'm actually going to leave the podcast right now. You guys finish up. I'm going to go watch this movie. Good. You should. <laughs> and honestly, uh, we should all start doing that look. Because literally, if you watch <laughs> the movie, you're like, man, Ricardo Montalban, he is like he is buff. But then if you do a little research, you realize, oh, that's actually a fake. Like It's fake. Like His muscles are fake, basically. It's kind of so, like... It's kind of like that guy in the what's the movie he needed to let off some steam um, at the Commando. end. Oh, Commando. Commando. Except for that guy went a different direction, wore a chainmail outfit. Yeah, he yeah. wore a chainmail. Yeah, the, I gotta admit, I would have never thought that unless I read that. Like it looks like you don't, you can't tell at all. Yeah, you can't. That is T Man's number four pick, and for my number four pick, I'm going with Ghostbusters. And I have a feeling this will probably be popping up again. We've already talked a ton about Ghostbusters. We we did a full episode back at, really, we released it right at Halloween time, episode 17. So I'm just going to keep it short and sweet and just say, this movie is a movie from my childhood. I've always loved Ghostbusters. I loved the Ghostbusters cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. I love the movie. As I've gotten older, it's still one that I watch frequently. It aged so incredibly well. Like, I, I seriously think it gets funnier every time that I see it. And when I watched the movie for our podcast, I mean, I was just laughing like I had never seen the movie before. I even knew what was coming up and was still busting out laughing. It is just a perfect summer movie of fun, just fun action. It was something different for its time. And just hilarious. So that's my number four pick, Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, great pick, Wes. And I'll just say that I think you'll definitely see it again on the list. Because <laughs> honestly, you can't do this list without it. Well, let's get to our number three. And Gabe, take it away. Well, my number three is a movie that is going to show up on the list a bunch of times, too, I guarantee. But it is uh, E.T. And I don't know what a list would be without this movie. And... I may have actually cheated because I may have seen this movie the most times out of all these movies, just, you know, but not like by choice. They used to always show it at daycare and stuff, but I'll be quick because I'm sure we're going to talk about it multiple times. They've got a cool bike chase scenes and it, it was it the original stranger things because I mean, I feel like it's like, like everybody loves stranger things now. And it's like, and everybody if you like Stranger Things and you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen E.T., go see it because you'll love it. Every time I watch this movie, I crave Reese's Pieces. I just wanted to be a part of something like that when I was a kid. I don't know. I love the 80s living room, the kitchen lamp, everything about it. My friend Jason had the same lamp in his kitchen that they are in, that they had, and I, and I like going over to his house just because of it. 
Uh, true story. I was scared of E.T. as a kid. Anybody else? I don't know if I was afraid I of E.T. itself. There are some creepy like scenes in the movie, like when the astronauts come in. I remember being scared, but I was like, was I really scared? And I was like, I think I was. I shouldn't admit it. But then I just watched it with my six-year-old, and he was scared. He was like, why is the alien friendly? How do we know he's okay? You know what? He's just – you're a little – you're just a little, you know, cautious at that age. And I saw it when I was six, so that makes sense. Uh, last thing I'll say is the flying bike ride was the very last bi- bi- ride we rode at Universal Studios. It's a spectacular ride. If you're ever at Universal Studios, go watch it. It's freaking awesome. You get to be on the bike. And Steven Spielberg has, like, a little dialogue that's really awesome. Like, before you go onto the ride, you can watch it. And he talks about making of the movie and stuff. And it's just so cool. Like, I loved it. And my son loved it, which it was something that we could really enjoy together. And then when he came home, he wanted to watch E.T., and that's why we watched it together. So um, I, I love this movie. Um, I mean, it's like it's like what J.J. Abrams wishes he was. I'm sorry, J.J. <laughs> I love you, and I love your movies. Probably <laughs> J.J. him so much. J.J. Yeah, <laughs> got half. J.J. could do this in his wildest dreams. But it's a great movie. I'll, I'll just say, E.T., e. Is just such an iconic film. It, it's, I think it was the the highest grossing film of the entire. It is the highest. It's so iconic. It is the perfect family film. It, it's it is is perfect for that. I liked it a lot more as a kid than rewatches as an adult. Don't get me wrong. I I, I like E.T. I own E.T. It's good. The last few times I've seen it, it just doesn't hold as well for me because I'm aging. But when you're a, a kid, it is just it's just a great film. And I can't wait to be able to show my son E.T. I know he's gonna love it. It is an evergreen family fun adventure type film. Yeah. Key man sitting think- over there. He's got a he's got a Steven Spielberg uh hard on over there. He's like those first two picks, Gabe. Those were pretty bad, but you really yeah. coming into coming into play with Gabe this. just redeemed himself because that's a <laughs> phenomenal pick, Gabe. I got to give you that, my friend. Um, yeah, ET is just a one of the iconic iconic movie, like you said, Wes. I mean, it is such a great movie, and it, like it's one of those movies when you think of the eighties, you think of ET. I mean, it was such a phenomenon. I mean, it made so much money, and I think you're right, Wes. There's something about E.T. When you watch it as a kid, it's just magical. I watched it as a kid. I just loved it so much. Spielberg just can capture that that childlike innocence and awe and wonder. And I think that's probably why it's not it doesn't hold up as well as because as you age, you lose all of that. You know, yeah. you lose the innocence and the wonder and all that. That's just how life is. And that movie is all about that. And I think that's the key to it. I think you're right. Your your son's gonna love it. I remember my my sister telling me how uh, my niece Caroline she 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 loves ET. She like watched it all the time because she was right in that age and she just loved it so much. And so I think it's just a, a one of those iconic movies. And you're right. It, Stranger Things tried to duplicate it. Super Eight has tried to duplicate it. Can't beat the original. The E.T. ride at Universal is a lot of fun. I've went on it myself. Really cool stuff. All right, team and his with that number three. So, guys, this is a I don't know if this pick even counts. I'll be honest with you, but I had to try to get it in here. And you can tell me if you don't think it counts, but I think it does. So I'm going with Road Warrior Mad Max. 
here's the thing. I looked it up, and it looks like it came out in America on May 6th. Came out in Australia in December of the previous year, but we're going to say it, it works. <laughs> it also made about $37 million, which in today's money is around $100 million. So we're going to say that counts, too. I think it's right on the edge, but I think when I think of summer blockbusters and think of movies that I loved as a kid growing up, like Gabe said, Road Royer right there at the top of my list. Plus, it pretty much is part of a franchise. I mean, they just did Road, you know, Mad Max Fury Road a couple years ago, considered one of the best movies of the decade. This, I still think, actually is still the best of that franchise. So if you haven't seen Road Warrior, um, a little strange movie, let me kind of give you a quick synopsis of it. So Road Warrior is the sequel to Mad Max. Of course, it takes place in Australian post-apocalyptic. It's an action thriller directed by George Miller. It's the second installment of that franchise. It's really Mel Gibson's big coming out party. And it's really about a tale of community sellers who have moved to defend themselves against a roving band of marauders, far following basically a Western frontier, frontier movie motive, as does Max's role as a hardened man who rediscovers his humanity when he decides to help the settlers. So pretty simple plot, but I mean, it has just amazing, iconic bad guys, great chase sequences. And if you haven't seen this movie and you love action films, you've got to see this movie. It's one of my favorite all-time movies. I've seen it. I mean, it's definitely one of the movies I've seen one of the most I've ever seen. Road Warrior, love the pick. What do you guys think? I'm not getting a lot of good reactions here. What's going on here, guys? No, I like that. I I like that movie quite a bit. Right, in fact, okay, right. you know that because you showed it to me. That's another movie. That's another Tommy special that he made me watch. But, um, and I love the series. And I, I I'm really get catching a trend. Like, did all these like like blockbusters like that we're even seeing now like come out from the '80s? Like they they just redid Mad Max here recently. It's like, yes. do we not have any good ideas. Hollywood, new fresh ideas. Cruella. Yeah out right now <laughs> are we running uh, out hey i want to talk about krill in the next episode but anyway but, we'll hold that but road is, uh, let me because i haven't seen it in a while is road warrior is they're not in the dome in road warrior though are they no, no that's the so, that's, that's the first thunder so that's thunderdome which i actually rewatched recently and that one is not very good but yeah. road warrior is awesome like it, it's the it. considered I, I know i've before, seen it yeah, it's before Fury Row. Now it's probably it, it's considered the best of the Mad Max films. It's considered a cult classic. It's considered you know one of the great action films of all time. Well, it's so interesting because it takes place in this po- post-apocalyptic world, which a lot of movies do that. But this is—it's just like a big freaking desert. It's yeah. like Lawrence of Arabia, except for instead of camels and stuff like that. They've got all these crazy derby cars and all this kind of stuff. It it is it is just it's an insane movie, especially for the time. We said released May first through September thirtieth. It was supposed to be like American, you know, like release dates and stuff like that. So yeah, it definitely counts. Made a thirty seven million and when did that come out? Eighty eighty two. What year did you say? Eighty one. Eighty two. 81, 81 of us. So, yeah, I mean, $37 million, very successful, especially because it barely cost anything to, to make it. I don't think it had a ton of money um, that was in it either. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like to pick. All right, let's move on. My number three is Gremlins. The nostalgia that I feel for this film, it just it's 
it's going to continue to propel this movie high on any 80s list that I that I make. I watch it nearly every year for Christmas. I didn't watch it this past year, but I think I had seen it maybe six or seven Christmases in a row. Like I, I watch it frequently. I loved the movie as a kid. It's an introductory horror film for a younger audience. And as I talked about earlier, this is one of the movies that helped get the PG-13 rating going because when you watch the movie, there are a lot of really dark, lots of adult themes in it. But then you've got Gizmo, who is just... You want to talk about the Ewoks being cute? Gizmo's got them beat by a mile. This is like one of the cutest creatures that's ever been created. You've got one of the most beautiful women who ever lived. Phoebe Cates in it. I've always loved uh, Zach Galligan. He is just... I, I love Billy... Um, you've got, uh, it's a Joe Dante film, which I really like Joe Dante stuff. I know the Gremlins rules, they make no sense, which I thought that was pretty funny. They parodied that in the Can sequel. you give me the rules right now, Gremlins historian? Don't water after midnight. There's, I don't remember them. <laughs> no, you, you, don't you feed can't them. feed it after midnight. That's when they turn into Gremlins. Can't you get can't expose water. them to sunlight because sunlight kills them. Don't get them wet. Those are the three rules. I couldn't have done it. Yeah, man, I, I'm a I'm a Gremlins fanatic. I, I love Gremlins. It's it's a it's it's a creature feature. It really is. Uh, Again, I talked about Phoebe Cates. Talk, her and Billy, to Kate, her character Kate and Billy are just great together. It's got a couple of actually eerie scenes in it, and it's got a really wild climax. It has like a great payoff. The movie. Let's face it; it should not be as good as it is. It has no business being as good as it is. A couple of the scenes that stand out for me are the opening. I love the opening. This the way that it comes on. It's supposed to be in in Chinatown and in New York. And he goes into this basement and discovers this creature. It's just it's cool. It's like he he's he's telling a story. You know, he's the narrator. The dad in the film is like the narrator of the movie. And then Gremlins pops up when it goes to the little town of Kingston Falls. It just has a great opening. When the pods start to open at Billy's house, you know, he's fed them after midnight because they jerked the wire out of the clock. The mom that comes upstairs and 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 they see the pods and they're like, what the heck is going on? And then they bust out. And I think isn't pod people playing on the on, on the TV as their po- the, the Gremlins pods are opening? It, that I thought yes, that was it really is. Cool. I think so. I, I haven't seen pod people. It looks like it could be. You get you get later where Kate tells the story about her dad dressing up as Santa Claus and sliding down the chimney, but he falls and breaks his neck. That is just like such a creepy story that she tells. And then the you've got Stripe. I always remember him jumping in the pool. It's like, you know, don't get them wet. They multiply. And what does he do? He goes to the YMCA and jumps into the water, and it starts going crazy. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's going to be a million of them. And, and there was just hundreds and thousands of them running around that town. And then the last scene, and I think it's the strongest scene of the whole movie, is when the gremlins go to watch Snow White in the theaters. And you have Kate and Billy break in, and they're trying to trap them in there and blow the theater up. And they see them behind the screen, and they all come, like, start jumping out after them. It's just such a great scene. So, anyway, Gremlins for Life, that's my number three pick. 
I, I've got three things just real quick. Number one, you watch Gizmos, you watch Gremlin for Christmas. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. I can. That just seems like a West Christmas movie. It's like <laughs> she's got to have horror in this Christmas. Die Hard is your Christmas. It, I, I can see that. I, I just wanted to say that the evil Gremlins really did legit scare me as a kid. The, the they're all grainy and creepy, and that was that was some of the first like creatures like i really saw as a kid so like because that was some new i don't know about how they were created or any of that but it was it was frightening to me as a kid they had long fingernails they they frightened me yeah great big was you gotta have gremlins in the blockbusters for the 80s it is one of the icons iconic films or iconic blockbusters you know what i find really funny is that and i'm sure you know this was ghostbusters and gremlins was released on the same day I meant to say that they were. Yeah. Yeah. What a which is like time to go to the theaters. Think right. Think back. And to have those two movies released on the same day. Plus, you had Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom released that same summer. Like if you were like a twelve year old kid that summer, heaven. Like nothing. You were you don't need anything else in life than those three movies. So that's a pretty cool I just it it is kind of strange they just released both those. What I kind of found interesting is that you know, they kind of had a habit of releasing those Christmas movies in the summer. I don't know why they did that. Like, to me, I would think that you would release Gremlins around Christmas. But maybe they just didn't do that in the 80s um, because it is more of a summer type. I mean, it's, it's for, like, kids, you know, or teenagers who are out of school. I showed my wife. She had never seen it before. And it's, when it was over, she said... She said, yeah, that that's, that's it was kind of like a like childish, kind of like a kid's movie. She's like, I didn't really like it very much. And she had never seen it before, obviously, being from Brazil. But uh, it just it just killed me because, again, that's one of those movies that I think it was so ingrained in me as a kid. More than E.T. I watched it more than E.T. So uh, as I've got older, I've just held on to it. Kind of like what I do with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. It's like I don't think I'll ever outgrow it. You make a good point because you've got to watch these. You've got to watch some of these movies as a kid to really latch on. And, you know, if you don't, if you if you watch it later in life, it's just not going to mean as much. You're not going to enjoy it as much because a lot of these movies we're talking about, honestly, are made for kids or like teenagers. They're not made for adults. And so if you don't watch them at that time, it's not going to mean as much. I just picture you, Wes, like looking at Ro while she's like finishing the movie and you're like, you know, just waiting for waiting for her reaction. I could tell it wasn't going real well because it, it is pretty stupid in in some parts that they do. But uh, she's always like, you know, you usually show me good stuff, but I didn't really like this one. I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> Wes just died a little bit inside. We're down to our 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 top two picks. And Gabe, what's your number two? You know, we learned I was Bill Murray. Um, we got to talk, you know, of the podcast because I'm the greatest comedic ele- element of the podcast. And we talked about how I'd been carrying it when we <laughs> talked about Ghostbusters. I mean, what's a better film? And how is it easier? Because we've already talked about the movie. I can just steal the jokes from the previous podcast. I love Dickless. I love Slimer. I love how I love uh, when we got Ghostbusters sleeping with ghosts. T-Man said Busted makes me feel good and said oh it was some dirty joke. I still don't know why. Wes, are you menstruating? Don't worry, I'm a scientist. Um, <laughs> I love sleazy real estate agents that sell you fridges with third dimensions. Tommy worked at Best Buy. He's never even heard of one of those. You know, um, 
the the Ghostbusters share the same rules as me and my six year old. When we get up, don't cross streams when you pee. We got Rick Moran. The whole movie is Rick Moran is trying to get indoors. It's just spectacular. It, you know, we just love this movie. I don't have to write new jokes. We already wrote all those. That is that is the most unique Ghostbusters review I've ever heard. I like how we've got to the point in the podcast we're just recycling our jokes. Yeah, I'll just I'll steal one more from Wes. Sigourney Weaver said at the end when uh, she was trying to sleep with Bill Murray, "I want you inside me." And and Bill Murray looks at her and says, "Looks like you got two people in there already." And, but. But I do love that movie. You know, as a kid, I had a, I, I recycled all of our jokes because it was easy. But as a kid, I had the Nintendo game. I watched the cartoon. I, I, I talked about my affinity for Slimer and Tommy hated on me for it. I, uh, Ecto Coolers were my favorite thing in the whole world. I dressed up as a Ghostbusters. It is everything 80s in the 80s. I drove, so I had a proton pack. I had, had the, the, the catcher. So, and I love the movie. And it holds up. Yeah, and I'm just going to jump in here because I don't know if there's really even a point to do another another number two because Ghostbusters is my number two also. <laughs> I mean, we might as well just combine these. It makes the most sense because everything you're saying, Gabe, I agree with. Guys, I literally just bought this book here, Ghostbusters, the ultimate. I know everybody can't see it. I got like a coffee table book at Ghostbusters. It's kind of like Wes's Gremlins thing. Ghostbusters is my thing from the early 80s. Like, I still love it. It's still so much fun and rewatching it every time. Like you said, Wes gets better and better. I mean, I still, it's still so funny. Like how, why is it still so funny? I don't know. Bill Murray's best performance. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Peter Vanglin is, it's just an incredible character. I mean, it, yeah, it, it really is an incredible character, incredible movie. I, you know, it's one of those movies that you could rewatch and find little funny jokes each time i think like each time i've watched it i kind of pick up a new joke or a new like way they're saying something like it's very and i think one of the keys to it is it has such a great creative like group of characters so you've got ivan reitman who great director upon himself you know dan Aykroyd at the height of his powers bill murray at the height of his power and then this key to the whole thing i think is harold ramus Hal Ramis is a, was a comic genius. I mean, look at the movie directed movies he directed later in his life, and then he co-wrote the movie. You add in Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson, uh, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, just great cast. And I think another thing that worked really well for it, so you guys probably know this, but the original idea, I think we talked about this, was it was going to be like, you know, they're going to go through time and fight ghosts. Yeah. But instead, they grounded it in modern day New York city. And they were going to be like blue collar firefighter types. And I think honestly, that was one of the, the smartest things they could have done because it grounded it. I love everything you said. I love that. I got to recycle jokes too, but I, I'm, it's so funny. I was sitting pumping gas today and I thought of the line, is that true? Yeah. That man really has no dick. And I just started <laughs> laughing. I thought of that while pumping gas today and I just busted out laughing and I haven't watched that movie in six months. Uh, it's it's one it is one Good. of the best comedic lines in movie history. Great pick, Gabe. Great pick, Tommy. <laughs> Great pick <laughs> earlier, Wes. <laughs> you can't hey. not pick it and do an eighty. Ghost, Ghostbusters in the running here. Then we got yeah. all three. That's the first movie we've had. That's two, two, two. two. Yeah. Yep, I think I think it's going to be in in the running. 
That's good. So I like I'll I'll throw out my number two pick here. And my number one and two movies are I like, of course, all all of the movies that I, I've picked. Huge fan of it. But we're getting to a different echelon of my all-time favorite movies whenever we, we talk these last two. And my number two pick is Raiders of the Lost Ark. When I think of blockbusters, I don't think about the type of films that are my number is going to be my number one. I typically think about films like Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is such a great popcorn movie. I personally feel it is the best pure adventure film of all time. I don't think any other of the adventure movies comes close to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Star Wars fans will disagree, but to me, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. He's much more of Indiana Jones than he is Han Solo. Star Wars fans always think of Harrison as Han Solo. I always think of Harrison as Indiana Jones. When I was a kid, I played Indiana Jones. I ran around and acted like I was him. My last name's Jones. Um, I put a little fedora on. I had like a little pack. I would act like I was going through the booby traps and trying to discover things and all kinds of stuff. I loved playing that as a kid. The original or the trilogy of, of films is great. Um, although we get some crazy and silly parts in Temple of Doom. I love it too. I just, I love the first three Indiana Jones films, but I, I always feel Raiders is the best. From the opening scene where he's getting that the gold head, he's dodging the booby traps and he, he's running from the big boulder. You're just instantly captivated. What an opening to a movie. Just such a great movie. Two of my favorite scenes in this movie aside from that opening, is you have the very subtle, supposed-to-be sword fight where Harrison just pulls a gun out and shoots the guy with a sword. It is so freaking funny. I just, it, I love that. And then one of the best set pieces is whenever Indiana is fighting the huge, bald Nazi by the plane. I just love that whole sequence where... The Marion knocks the the plane into to drive, I guess, if that's even a gear for a, for a plane, and it starts driving and spinning around, and they continue to fight, and Harrison is just getting his butt kicked, and and ultimately winds up getting the Nazi ground up in the propeller. It's just such an exciting, just a, a fun scene. So, this is also my second favorite Spielberg movie of all time behind Jurassic Park. And I also feel that this is the best pure blockbuster uh, of the 80s. Again, like I say, when I think about popcorn flicks, summer blockbusters, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the first movies that come to mind. So, guys, that's my number two pick. All right, we're going to my number one. I Wes knew instantly where he was Harrison Ford. I was Harrison Ford, too. But I was Harrison Ford in Star Wars, so Empire Strikes Back is my number one. I know, Tommy. Oh, know, yeah. I mean, I've been, I don't see how it's not the best movie of the 80s. It's probably the highest in AFI top 100 of any of these movies. It freaking, they couldn't do this movie now. It freaking starts off with a Yeti attack. They weren't afraid to be brave back then. We got Princess Leia switching from Han to Luke faster than T Man switches off the TV. When Sly Stallone movie comes on it. I mean, it is. <laughs> that's it, fast. That's really fast, people. We've got <laughs> lots of Ben Force ghosts in this. I mean, the movie starts with another dude 
sleeping next to another dude in an animal carcass in the ice. I mean, it's spectacular. The battle on Hoth, like Wes said, is it, it's just so good. The different the different ships it introduced. The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, take this challenge. I, I challenge anybody to do this. It's just like the Lay's Potato Chip Challenge. Turn it on and turn it off before 40 minutes hits. You can't. It's so action-filled. The first Han Leah kiss is just incredible. Like the the real one in the ship where he's he's like, you're a scoundrel. I like scoundrels. Like, I love that kiss scene. It doesn't get better. I get, I get a space boner just thinking about this movie. Wes's Imperial March is in here. Let me give you the best quote, and that's all I'll say about it. And this comes from Yoda. No try, or no try not. Hold on, I screwed it up when I wrote it up. There's, <laughs> there is no try. There is do. Oh, man, I messed this up. This is such a buddy quote. There's no try, there's a do. If you would have got it right, honestly, I would have been disappointed. Anyway, that's uh, we'll get it. Just edit it in, Wes. Edit in the Yoda quote over what I'm going to say. <laughs> with your with your uh, uh, voice, yes. That I'll, I will no, not my do. voice. There is no try. There is a do or whatever it is. You know, you just do. That's what he basically says. And I love that quote, but I can't say it out loud because I can't remember quotes. That's who I am. Well, Gabe, I've got so I, I was thinking. I was like, okay, I know there's several movies from the '80s that are on the AFI top 100 list. And I knew the Empire Strikes Back I was not the Raiders highest. Is, I think Raiders is. So it's Raiders of the blockbusters. Yeah, of blockbusters. ET is actually mm. the the highest rated. But now the number four considered AFI greatest film of all time is is from nineteen eighty, and it's Raging Bull. Way too high. Way yep. too high. Yeah, yeah but I'm which not is the blockbuster? Huge, huge fan of that. ET is number twenty four, and it came out in eighty two. And Raiders is also ahead. Raiders is number six. Number 66 is Raiders, 1981. I didn't remember Empire Strikes Back being in the top 100. I think it's in the, it's in the, it's on the list of science fiction films. But yeah, it's not. Blade Runner is, is number 97. And the quote is, try not, do or do not, there is no try. And I hey. and it it flip flopped my words when I write it wrote it into my phone to write it down. So put that one in there. <laughs> autocorrect. It autocorrected. It autocorrected because it, my phone doesn't speak Yoda. It was like it moved. <laughs> that would be cool to have. Um, it would autocorrect to the way Yoda would say it. That's the, what they need to work on. Yeah, work on that iPhone. But you know, Gabe, that's a great pick. I mean, Empire oh, is one yeah. of the iconic. 80s blockbusters, really one of the iconic blockbusters of all time. So I think having it number one is is a really great pick. I think a lot of people are going to have it on their list. A lot of people are going to have it number one. I will say this. I don't think that you think that I lied to our Real Talk community. I think both of you could look at my list and be like, that's really Gabe's top five movies. He's really watched those movies the most. And so I gave you guys real material today, my friends. There we go. All right, team man. We already, you've already spoiled it. We know what your number one is. Yeah. I mean, if anybody knows me, it's, it's obvious. It was always going to be Ghostbusters and Raiders and whatever. However, I feel on a certain day, that's what I go with. I couldn't, you know, they always flip back and forth with me. For today, I'm going with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wes already kind of talked about it a little bit, just touching on it again. You know, this is just one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, 
you know, watch. I think it's one of the most rewatchable movies because it doesn't let up. There's nothing about it. I'm not going to go over the plot or anything. So I think Wes did a good job with that. You know, there's nothing you can rewatch the movie and it's just slam bang right from the get go. You know, I think one of the things about Raiders, if you watch it, it's almost like and it kind of goes back to the conversation I had in the very beginning of the of the podcast where you have the you have a certain time in movies and then something there's a flip switch that's flipped. Movies change. And Raiders is kind of like that first movie. Now, you could say Star Wars or you could say Jaws, but I think the way Raiders is constructed with how propulsive it is, it's kind of like that first modern movie. If you look at action films now, they're all kind of set in the Raiders template. They template, you know, you have an action sequence every 10 minutes or so. And that's how Raiders is designed. It's designed as like an amusement park in a way. Heck, it created two great rides at Universal. I mean, it's just such a great movie. I mean, can you get a better hero than Indiana Jones? I don't think it's possible. Han Solo? No, no, no. I mean, let's go from the person himself, Harrison Ford. He prefers Indiana Jones. I mean, he kept trying to kill off Han Solo. Whereas Indiana, he's back filming a new movie this week. He's doing another Indiana at like 80 years old. Where Han's a good character, I think Indiana Jones is a great character. And he's just so iconic, everything about him. And going back to the movie itself, you know, it's just all of these creative geniuses at the top of their game. You had Spielberg, George Lucas, you had Philip Kaufman, co-wrote the screenplay, who, great director, Lawrence Kasdan, you know, screenwriter, great uh, co-wrote the screenplay, great filmmaker unto himself. John Williams, mm. you know, doing one of the great scores of all time. Frank Marshall produced it, turned out to be one of the great producers of the last 40 years. I mean, so many great people were working on that movie. And then Harrison Ford at the top of his game also. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so good is you had all these great talents kind of at the peak of their powers, all doing this to create something that still holds up. I mean, you watch it, you turn it on right now, you're not going to get bored. You're going to love it. A lot of movies, you could watch it. So it's one of those movies where if you don't like older movies, you can still watch it and really enjoy it. It feels modern, doesn't it? Like it just, mm-hmm. everything about it. I want to ask you guys, since we've already talked about it quite a bit, I just want to ask you, so what's your favorite Raider scene? Wes, well, go you first I, I, I said with the i said that the nazi fight by the plane i love that so let me give you my second favorite is i love whenever he first arrives to see marion in that bar and you've got her doing the shots against that guy and she wins and then they have that big fight like i've always loved that scene a great introduction to her character it's just a great bar fight i love when the uh the, the guy whose face melts at the end, he burns his hand on the medallion and everything. It's just that I love that scene too. Couple of thoughts on that scene was first of all, first, if you rewatch that scene, the gunfire sounds amazing. Like they did such a great job with sound in that movie. Second of all, where is that? Like I know where the bar's at, it's in Nepal, but like who is going to that bar? <laughs> it is like literally in the, like <laughs> how do you get to it? It's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, this is where she's at? She's, like, just hanging out? Anyway, that's a little strange. Um, Gabe, what about you? Favorite Raiders scene? 
Henry Jones Jr. No, I, <laughs> but although I will say that was a really fun time because we all remembered our Indiana Jones time and we were, we were in Florida together and we went and saw Indiana Jones kingdom of the crystal skull and we were all pumped up. We we were let down in, in, you know, in the end, but um, my favorite scene of the whole series is by far when, and it's the it's the iconic story when that guy's like doing all that stuff with the the oh, swords yeah. and stuff, and then Harrison Ford just pulls out a gun and shoots him. That's it because that's that's Indiana Jones, like yeah, period, that... point blank. And I know it was because he was sick or whatever that day. It was supposed to be a fight scene, but it's brilliant. Yeah, that is a super iconic scene. That's where I think the whole crew had dysentery, and from being sick and. uh, Harrison Ford was just trying to think of any way to get out of doing this whole elaborate fight scene and that's when he came up with that idea and it's funny the only person that did not get sick during the whole production was Steven Spielberg because he brought SpaghettiOs and ate those the whole time (laughs) that's strange (laughs) SpaghettiOs that's awesome one thing that I remember from my childhood, we went to Disney World and they did that live Indiana Jones show. And during that show, the guy did all that. And then somebody shot the guy and, and everybody was like, yeah, and everybody clapped. I mean, everybody yeah. clapped because everybody loves that part. That scene is amazing. And then right into that goes into uh, then later on, you've got the great sequence with the Nazis and the plane and the, the great the, the chase with him. Yeah. The, the propeller and then the great that. chase where indiana's jumping through windows and punch punching nazis and Chasing you know could you've got better villains than these nazis i mean right it's perfect what's your favorite what's your favorite scene i would say i mean there's so many but i think i really think the opening sequence you know you've got it just sets the movie up so well you got alpha Moline in there and it kind of like goes all through the sequences you've got the 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 spiders on him. You've got him getting the the uh, you know the statue, the ball. You know the the boulder. It's just that opening scene. He gets double crossed. Gets double crossed. Throw me the whip. No, you throw me the whip. I mean, that's arguably the best opening sequence in movie history, mm-hmm. right there. And then the final sequence I'll mention. We've got to mention is the snakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hates snakes. Had to be snakes. Had to be snakes. snakes. <laughs> so, I definitely think Raiders is in the running, guys. Uh, I'm rooting for it. I hope we can pull it out. Well, that is Team N's number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. My number one, Team N. You guys, you don't know me. You don't know what is the number. No, my, I was my, trying I, to. I gotta guess. Be, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. Like I'm looking this. I was looking at this. I was like, what's left? There's nothing left. Is the Shining qualify? My number one film is The Shining, of course. Oh, game how, does it, shining. how does that even qualify? It came out in the summer. Yeah, it came really? out in the summer. It oh. made about, it made about million 50 million at the box office. I wasn't office. even I think thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. In my top 10 all-time favorite films is, is The Shining, and probably top five. I go back and forth all the time between is Halloween my favorite horror film or is The Shining my favorite horror film? I, I don't know. I just... I'm conflicted like you are with Raiders and and Ghostbusters. And for Tom's sake, I'm not going to go too deep into it here because this movie will certainly be one of my future picks uh, so I can nerd out for a whole episode on this. And it could possibly be coming to Real Talk listeners this Halloween. But anyway, I personally think it's the best directed 
film of all time of all of all of the movies and all the great directing and and everything i feel like the shining is the best directed directed of course by iconic filmmaker stanley kubrick he uses he did not develop the steadicam for this he did modify the steadicam technology was actually invented in the late 70s but he did modify it a little bit which of course he not only was a great director, he was a photographer, and he did a lot of technical advances in the film industry, a lot like the type of stuff that James Cameron does as well. But what I'm talking about with that Steadicam is, is that, that famous eerie tracking sequence that follows Danny as he's peddling around the hotel halls, and, and it's from behind him, and it's just such this smooth, long shot. And it makes the hotel look so big. It makes it look so eerie, so creepy. You just know something just awful is going to happen there. It feels much different from the other movies that were on my list. The other movies feel like these big, you know, blockbusters, these really fun movies. The Shining feels like a 70s movie. It was made in the late 70s. It was released in 1980. It encompasses all aspects of what it means to to be horror, what it means to be horrific. It is the perfect horror film. The setting, the direction, the plot, the score, the scares throughout it. All aspects of the film are just done to the, the nth degree. And But beyond the film itself is the film's legacy. The legacy of the film is still surrounded with so much mystery. Stanley Kubrick left everybody with so many questions about the movie because the more you study it, the more you unravel mystery that he he's left us with. I mean, there's an entire documentary that they made around the questions of the film. It's called Room 237. So any Shining fans that are out there, you've got to you've got to watch Room 237. I think a lot of it is is kind of bullcrap, but there are all these theories that they go through. I love the fact that one of the most methodical, anal filmmakers of all time allowed for things like the layout of the hotel not to be physically possible. It doesn't make sense, the layout of the hotel. Items in the background appear and disappear like continuation problems. But we know with the way that Stanley was, he wouldn't have continuation errors like that. So these objects that are appearing and disappearing behind the actors, it's like, what is all this what does all this mean? And then it wraps the movie up with this ambiguous ending that's been up for debate for forever. What does it mean whenever you see, did the hotel consume Jack? That he has been there at all time? Or is he some kind of reincarnated ghost from the past? What is he? Like It, it just leaves you with so many questions. So some of the scenes that stick out to me real quick is there's a documentary about it called room 237 the room 237 scene it is so scary like i just find that scene where he goes into room 237 because danny comes out and he's got it he's bruised and his shirt's torn jack goes to figure out what it is and then you see this beautiful woman rising from the bathtub but there's this terrible horrible music playing and she just turns into this boily nasty creature this goes it is it it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck you have the blood that's pouring out from the elevators you you have another iconic scene where jack has been rude to wendy basically the whole movie but he finally snaps 
and he's following her up the stairs, and she's swinging the bat at him, and he tells her, I'm not going to hurt her, or I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to bash your effing head in. And it's like, oh, I mean, Jack Nicholson just transforms. I think this is his best of, of all the iconic roles that he's had in Chinatown and in Few Good Men and and just, you know, all of the, the Joker, all the great Jack Nicholson roles. I like his performance as Jack Torrance the most. And finally, the scene in the gold room where Jack is had an argument with Win, Wendy. He goes in there and he sits down at the bartender. The bartender appears. He starts drinking again. And then he goes and meets Grady in the bathroom. That whole scene is just, it's just so great. So you feel the shining long after the credits roll. It's my favorite movie of the early 80s. One of my all-time favorite movies. And that's why I've got it number one on my list. So... Probably not, obviously not what T-Man was expecting. Gabe, props to you. I'm glad glad you guessed it. You know me, Gabe. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, just, I, I don't want to add a lot to this movie, but you didn't name Red Rum or the two little girls on the bikes. Those two little girls on the bikes haunted my dreams for in the hallway for a long time. I saw this movie as a kid, and my parents said, don't watch this movie. It's not for you. And I hid behind the couch and watched this movie and was petrified and slept with a bat for like a week. And it was like a real problem. Like I was legitimately afraid. So this movie scared me more than any movie that I've ever seen in my life. And then when we grew up, when we were living in an apartment together, all three of us, you guys try to force me to watch it again. And I wouldn't do it. I was like, I'm not going to do it. And you were, you guys were laughing, but I was serious. But I recently rewatched the movie, and I, and I did about two years ago, and it wasn't as frightening as I thought. But, I mean, because I'd built it up so much in my head as a kid. But this movie is spectacular, so I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, it's definitely not – like, it's not what I think about when I think of summer blockbusters. But I think that's why – I never, it, 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 Wes, Wes went with a technicality. Wes is going with a technicality here. Well, will slide it in with the technicality here. I mean, it's del- like I think it's literally the exact opposite of what I'm thinking about with summer blockbusters. <laughs> it's like dark, like super disturbing, uh, very eerie, cold, calculating, and not kid friendly at all. But like you said, it, it counts technically. I don't think you're going to get a lot of votes for it, Wes. I could be wrong though. We'll see. No, I, I won't. I, there's. I've seen it on a couple of lists that that people have sent in, mostly from the 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 people that are within our horror horror community. Again, a lot of people don't think about it, but it was a big hit. I mean, again, nineteen eighty, pull in fifty million dollars at the box office. Mm-hmm. I can't. That, I mean, nineteen million hit. dollar budget, forty seven million, May twenty third. See, he slid on on to, on actual. See, I tried to make up Ace Ventura into it because people thought it was a blockbuster. <laughs> he like his is legit. Well, oh, T-Man man. shouldn't be surprised because my number one film from the late 90s blockbuster was Seven. So Yeah, you... Wes will go with the uh, super disturbing horror film as a summer <laughs> blockbuster. <laughs> Only person I know. Hey, I got it's, this summer blockbuster list. Let me put some of the most disturbing movies ever on it. <laughs> Let's go get you a slushie and some, and some popcorn, kids. We're going to see The Shining. <laughs> see The Shining, kids. <laughs> oh yeah that's hilarious but i mean no denying it's a great movie it's an iconic movie um but uh interesting pick there wes <laughs> i figured i figured that would be the reaction but again i'd be lying to my i was looking at the list of movies i was like well this counts I, there's no Pretty way yourself. i can leave this off the list i mean this is 
Yeah, top five movie for me. All right, guys, it was we're winding the episode down. We have just a couple of things left. So, Gabe, just real quick, just toss out, and again, audience, we're not going to go over these movies, but Gabe, what are a couple movies that just missed your cut? Well, Indiana Jones just missed my cut. That was honestly my number six, and so it was right there. Then right after that, Airplane just missed missed my cut. And then, um, because I love that movie. I've seen that movie... um, gosh a bunch of times and and it's it's funny it's just i don't think of it when i think of summer blockbuster and then romancing the stone was my number third my number three one that just missed missed the cut it's a really fun movie but it does technically doesn't qualify so i didn't want to wet west of hemorrhage you know when i said it so <laughs> all right team what are what are a few that just missed your cut i mean few that missed my cut et obviously right there love et so much um Empire Strikes Back, but I knew we would talk about those, so I want to try to add some different movies in there. Um, and then two that we didn't, nobody named, I was a little surprised about, and I almost had them on my list, was one was Temple of Doom, which I know it, it was very controversial when it came out, but it's kind of had a resurgence, and now like in the film Twitterati and the letterbox community, people like it. It's kind of back in vogue. So I, I and I rewatched it. it is very silly and it's very um, different tone than Raiders. But if you know what it's going for, it is very entertaining. I'll put it that way. I like it. I do like it. And then the other one is Poltergeist. Almost put it on my list. It was really close to getting in there, but I just had to leave it out. But I really like Poltergeist. It's a great, you know, summer family horror movie, which they don't really make a lot of those. And it's got that strange confluence of Tobe Hooper and Spielberg mashed together. You ever thought those two directors, what would happen? Well, you get Poltergeist. Well, Tina, that you the the there were three movies going for my fifth spot. One was Temple of Doom, and the other one was Poltergeist. So those were you. We were in sync yeah. there. Those would have been my. Those are my honorable mentions. But again, this is this is just a great period. Uh, for movies it's going to continue to ramp up as we go our next episode where we talk about movies from 1985 to 1989 our top five list so guys we're going to wrap today's episode up with just some listener feedback and guys if you got anything to weigh in or say just throw it out there but uh again we we're so appreciative of our listeners and the interaction. This was a great conversation on our Facebook. We got a lot of participants, a lot of people throwing out there. I'm not going to read everybody's top five list, but again, I shouted out Justin Wallace at the beginning of the episode. I did at least want to share his top five. He went Rocky three Raiders ET gremlins and ghostbusters and ghostbusters being his number one. This week, we had a listener that I had never heard from before. His name's Matthew West. He reached out to us on Twitter. He was propelled to reach out to us because he had just listened to our Roadhouse episode, and he wanted to share with us some script information about how they introduced Dalton's character. And so just wanted to shout out Matthew. I told him we were doing this the next episode as we were chatting, and he went ahead and sent us his top five. He went Caddyshack, Return of the Jedi, E.T., The Shining, there we go, and then Empire Strikes Back is his number one. My man. uh, Caddyshack, that's one that we didn't really mention, but I know that's a a really popular one. I like that movie. 
That's one thing we didn't do a good job of is comedies. We got yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got, yeah, we got I Ghostbusters. Named and I named airplane. Yeah, the other one I'm thinking about is Vacation. National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, almost man, that, that, that one is too. hilarious. And yep. I, that's probably yeah. one I've seen quite a bit when he gets there and then punches the moose. I love that part. Amazing. And then we had Avis LaRue, Sandman Stories Presents Podcast, E14 Podcast, Mainstream Samantha Podcast. They all shared their top five lists and their favorite movies. And I just wanted to, you can go to Twitter, you can go to our page on that and see everybody's top five lists. But wanted to shout out those individuals and those shows for participating. Let's move over to Facebook. I want to shout out the Morgans, Greg and Pearl Morgan. Of course, Greg is is the host of Land of the Creeps, and and his uh, wife Pearl is she is contributing a whole lot more to Land of the Creeps, and she interacts with us a bunch on Facebook. And she shared she was the first that shared um, her list, and her top film was actually Superman Two. It's from a good 1980. I think it's much better than Superman One. Good pick. And so I just wanted to shout out that couple, and we appreciate all their support uh, over at Land of the Creeps. Uh, McKay Barnett, she said Empire Strikes Back. She had it as her number one film. Yes. Mr. Kevin Kangas, Kangas Khan, the B-movie man himself. He threw us a curveball in one we haven't talked about. His number one movie was Conan the Barbarian. There you go. See... Uh, Kevin, you and T-Man can kind of make up. I know y'all had a spat about the B-movie stuff, but see, he's T-Man and you are in sync with Conan. Y'all are both big fans of it. Yeah, we're back in sync, my friend. Conan, it's a B-movie special. (laughs) (laughs) Preston Driver, who's, of course, been on a couple of episodes of the show with our Mortal Kombat episodes. He He just looked up there, copied straight off McKay, and said Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Matt Britt came in with Raiders of the Lost Ark as his number one movie. And Matt's a big, uh, is a huge movie buff. We worked at Best Buy together years and years and years ago. He would recommend movies to me all, all the time. He recommended a bunch of good stuff to me. Um, one day in the store, he actually handed me Mulholland Drive. Me too. And he said, he said, Wes, watch this movie. Come back, let me know what you think, and we'll talk about it. And so, F you, Matt Britt, for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did he do that to everybody? He did the same thing to me. He, I think he loved it. Matt, if you listen to this episode and you hear this piece, you got you to gotta come back. You got to respond to us. That was your go-to thing is to confuse young movie watchers. You like with, movies? What in watch the heck Mulholland is going Drive. What the crap is this? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Hosley host of the lost art of podcast friend of the show he went with ghostbusters as his number one dave becker host of land of the creeps horror movie podcast he's got his own show now the dvd infatuation podcast he's called the encyclopedia of movie knowledge he sent us his list and he actually gave us some comments most people didn't comment they just gave the list i want to read dave's comments because um, I mean, Dave's the man. His number five was Gremlins. He said, this one stuck with me because the audience was laughing the whole time, but I remember being truly horrified as a kid and not understanding what was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> His number four was The Empire Strikes Back. He said, my friends and I were there opening weekend. 
in the pre-internet days, spoilers were harder to come by, so our jaws hit the floor with the big Darth Vader Luke reveal at the end. His number three was Ghostbusters. He said, arguably my all-time favorite theatrical experience. The crowd was electric and laughed so hard at the it's true, this man has no dick line that we all missed the next two minutes of dialogue because we were laughing so hard. (laughs) His number two, T-Man, Poltergeist. Another one he saw on opening weekend said it scared the living hell out of all of us. Man, Dave saw some amazing stuff in theaters. And his number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He said, I sum up what the movie means to him in his review on his blog. And when he talks about his blog, that's dvdinfactuation.com. So if you want to check that out, head over to that website and read about uh, what Dave thinks of Raiders. Kyle Gherkins. What? Real quick, Wes. Yeah, that's a great list from Dave. I love hearing those stories. I'm thinking to myself, man, Dave's had all those amazing movie-going experiences. I'm sitting over here like, we're going to go watch like Fast 12. Those are our (laughs) movie experiences. Dave's talking about going to see Raiders on opening night. Man, how things have changed. Kyle Gherkins, another Best Buy alum. He sent us in his top five list, and he said that his top five list, he saw all of the movies at the theater and or drive-in back in the 80s, which, I again, just like Dave, is so cool. And his number one movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So Empire Strikes Back fans, we got, we've got got a big competition on our hands. I think it's going to come down to Raiders and Empire. I'm seeing I don't like that because it's Unless- who are you? Who are you, Harrison Ford? Yeah, I think I think those are going to be two of the top contenders, unless something in the late '80s can come through. I'm, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but Back uh, to the Future, possibly. Yeah, we'll we'll see. There there's a um, there could be some contenders, but again, I'm feeling Raiders and Empire are going to be are going to be tough to beat. Big Bill Van Vagel from Land of the Creeps as well, and Phantom Galaxy. Want to shout out? Nathan and Bill's podcast over there, Phantom Galaxy. T-Man's actually been a guest on that show, Talking X-Files, if you want to go over and check Phantom Galaxy out. His number one movie is Blues Brothers, another one we haven't talked about. And he said not only is it his number one movie from the late or from the early 80s, it's his number one film all time. That's his all-time favorite movie is Blues wow. Brothers. Not going to be happy with our list. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Sorry, Bill. We love you. I quoted you earlier. (laughs) Seth George, another Best Buy alum, Mr. X-Men 3 himself. That's a little inside joke between Seth and I, but his number one movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, look how cocky when you say it. (laughs) And then we got a fellow podcaster, friend of the show, Mr. Phantom Galaxy himself, Nathan Bartlebaugh, he came, he came in and he said, he goes, well, honestly, all my favorites are probably from 1982. I guess if we're talking about hits, I'm going to leave off The Thing and I'm going to leave off Blade Runner, which actually I like both of those movies yeah. better than some of the movies I had on my list, but they were not big hits. Yeah, I, The Thing, I try, I wanted to put The Thing on there, but... It just wasn't a big hit, and it's a B movie, so we can't really put a B movie <laughs> as a blockbuster. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin would disagree. Kevin is Kevin. literally outside T Man's apartment right now, <laughs> studying his patterns. He's gonna Kevin, take. We'll talk, Kevin. We'll talk next episode. You're on aliens. 
And uh, anyway, Nathan says, so if we're applying the rules to summer movies, my number one film is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then our final audience feedback here is Mr. Russ Carter and Gabe. He went his number one pick, Karate Kid. Thank you, Russ. Woo! All right, and then finally, I did a little Twitter poll. I didn't get it out in enough time, honestly. I kind of forgot about doing Twitter polls, to tell you the truth. And I was like, well, we still have like 30 hours before the episode. Let me throw this out there real quick. And here's where we stand um, as of now. We had 50-plus votes in. Empire Strikes Back at 45%. That was the number one choice of those on Twitter. Yes, Twitter! Raiders coming in number two at 26%. Ghostbusters coming in at number three, 22. And poor E.T. with only 7%. And I want to read this tweet real quick from um, Nick over at Film Shake. He, He was on our Roadhouse episode. Just a hilarious guy. He reviewed our list and he saw how the percentages were coming in, and, and Nick said, he said, man, poor E.T. made more money than any of these films at the time and can't get any respect. I mean, I voted for Empire, but. <laughs> yes, Nick. <laughs> and I like you. So anyway, audience, that's our coverage. The 1980 summer blockbusters, 1980 to 1984. We are going to be back. With our next episode, we're going to be covering summer blockbusters from 1985 to 1989. We've got special guest hosts, Jason and Mark from Nerd Cage Live, that are going to be joining us. We're really looking forward to that episode. We're also going to have a reviewing the new coming out soon because we have seen a. We're, we're back in the theaters. Theaters are open in this area, and we've been going to the theaters. We want to catch you up on the latest. We've got some interviews coming up soon as well. And audience, we hope you enjoyed this episode as, as, as much as we did making it. A couple things you can do to support our efforts. Number one, subscribe to our show. Give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. That is be so helpful and beneficial. The way they've got all those algorithms and stuff set, out, set up, it's, it just helps expose other listeners to our show. For real, guys, the Empire can get all these henchmen. You can subscribe to our show. Give us some <laughs> likes. Come on. We'd love to hear from you again. All the audience feedback that we just gave you is coming to us on Twitter. We're at real underscore cast or on our Facebook group, which I really love being a part of that Facebook community. It's Real Talk, a movie podcast page. Our Instagram page is ran by friend of the show, Ren Burnett. He is putting out some really cool stuff. He's got a uh, new Star Wars post that he's going to throw out there. Really excited for that. Finally, we'll thank Matt Holland for designing our podcast logo. And audience, for us, that's a wrap.